Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacker Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. We'll have Sean Newkirk and Jeremy Greco on to discuss whether Major League Baseball should even be playing baseball games right now. But as for now, games are a go, and so we decided to start previewing the season by learning a little bit more about our divisional opponents. After all, one-sixth of the schedule is going to be against each divisional opponent this year. So uh, joining us to talk about the Chicago White Sox today is Brett Ballantini of Southside Sox. Brett, thanks so much for being on today. Hey, thanks for having me around, Max. Well, I... I I know the 2019 season seems like it was just like a million years ago at this point, but uh, I do want to kind of, you know, kind of draw, pick up where we left off with, uh, with baseball last year. Tell us about uh, how the White Sox fared last year. What were kind of their strengths and weaknesses as they went into the off season last year? God, Max, do we have to, it's, it's so much <laughs> more interesting to talk now that we, they had such a great off season, but yeah, 2019 was rough. The, the exciting Part, I guess toward the end of the season was managing to sidestep 90 losses, which was an achievement for a 100-loss team in 2018. Uh, you know, it was very much a developmental year. It was sort of a wait-and-see year. Uh, it's tough to sort of throw an entire season toward a, a wait-and-see, treading water situation, but that's sort of what the White Sox were doing. Lucas Giolito was a guy who really broke out, so it certainly wasn't without highlights, uh, but it was a bit of a wait-and-see and pointing toward the offseason and pointing toward 2020. And so as I went into the off season, I think last time we talked uh, a year ago, they were kind of, we were kind of discussing how the White Sox failed to land any of the big free agents like Bryce Harper or Manny Machado. And I know it's interesting. I think the White Sox are kind of, you know, ahead of the Royals in far, as far as a rebuild. So it's kind of maybe instructive for us to look at you guys as a model. And I know, I think the White Sox have been perhaps you know, a lot more aggressive, I think, in, in rebuilding than the Royals have, uh, trading Chris Sale away, trading Adam Eaton away for really good prospects. Um, so what's kind of the fan expectations going into this offseason, and then what, what, did, uh, what did the White Sox actually end up doing? I think the expectations were low based on sort of the setback of, of not really getting, uh, well, sort of really blowing, I guess, uh, the, the situation with Manny Machado and then really not being involved too much with Bryce Harper. I think the expectations were low, and which is why when Rick Hahn came out, geez, it seemed like almost before free agency actually began and snagged Yasmani Grandal right off the bat, I think expectations really changed quickly. Uh, the the uh, fan base really started thinking, well, maybe they're serious you know, this time around and really going to be able to go from A to B and pick up some good guys. And Hahn did continue to do that, picking up, pivoting quickly to Dallas Keuchel after Zach Wheeler made that sort of interesting decision of, well, the White Sox had the, the best offer, but I want to stay closer to home. 
And then picking up a number of other, uh, you know, more minor pieces, but actually having a free agent class to the point where when they're signing Edwin Encarnacion sort of as the last piece there, it was almost like it was like a cherry on top situation. The White Sox are, and the fan base are not used to being in that position to almost have too many Christmas presents under the tree. So with no minor league season this year, I think we can kind of expect some some prospects that maybe – would have gotten their feet wet or maybe we wouldn't have seen in the big leagues this year they might actually get to see some big league action this year because that's the only baseball live action baseball they'll get this year um are there some you know i know the, the white Sox they've had they've, they've built up their farm system pretty well the last couple of years we've seen some really exciting guys like Aloy jimenez last year come up uh dylan sees um who who are some prospects maybe uh we aren't as familiar with as royals fans that we can expect to see maybe get in a game or two or perhaps more than that uh, in 2020 well, not a function of the weird season, but the fact that they signed him to a massive, a very much Eloy Jimenez-type uh, extension before the season. Luis Robert is the uh, what it would have been and is still the opening day center fielder. So he's a guy that is not a product of the strange season that you're going to see, and you're going to see a lot of, and you're going to see, unfortunately, Royals fans, you're going to see a lot of for many, many years because this guy is beyond dynamite. But, but more to your question, uh, their first-round pick, Garrett Crochet, uh, is on the taxi squad that was just announced. And he's a guy that, though I don't think they want to have to use, uh, he's a guy that is on that taxi squad in case he does need to be used. And then really it, you sort of drill down to guys who uh, maybe would play a much more minor role, if at all, in 2020. Luis Basabe is a guy who's in Chicago versus their taxi squad area. So he's distinguished himself uh, a part of that um, Chris Sale trade, uh, the, the third piece, I guess you could say, after Yohan Moncada and Michael Kopech. Uh, he's distinguished himself enough to get into Chicago sort of uh, on that bigger major league roster right now playing inter-squad games. Uh, Cody, uh, C- Cody Hoyer is a guy whose uh, arm uh, might profile to be a closer one day. He's getting action here at Sox Park as opposed to even on the Hexi squad. So aside from the, the minor guys, it's really Luis Robert, who we were going to see whether it was going to be April uh, or a July opening day. Yeah, crochet is kind of interesting. I know there's a lot of guys from this year's draft and Royals, you know, have this is kind of in the same uh, boat with Aza Lacey out of Texas A&M, who is not in their 60-man club pool. But you could see some of these guys, I think Max Meyer with the Marlins, uh, Austin Martin perhaps with the Blue Jays, uh, Spencer Torkelson with the Tigers. Um, this could be an opportunity for those guys to kind of get their feet wet playing in big league games just because there isn't any kind of other league to play in this year. So we may actually see quite a few uh, guys kind of go straight to the big leagues, which would be uh, a little bit interesting. And I know the White Sox, it seems like you guys have had a pretty good pipeline of talent to the big leagues. You mentioned uh, Michael Kopech, Kopech um, and he has decided to opt out of this season. One of a number of players kind of opt out, but he is kind of different in that a lot of the guys that have opted out are young, older guys that have kind of made their money and can probably afford to kind of sit out a year. He is still a young guy trying to get his feet wet at the big leagues. Uh, could you talk a little bit about his decision to opt out, at least what you know, and, and kind of how the fans have taken it so far? I think the fans have taken it fine. I mean, you're, you're always going to have a, a meathead sect who's going to, you know, just shake their fist at any decision that doesn't go their way. But, I mean, I think by, by far the majority of fans understand how unique this uh, season is. And as a guy, even though his Tommy John was a while back and he was – in uh, spring training action, throwing 100 post Tommy John uh, just this spring. So he's a guy who's definitely going to contribute to the team at some point this season. And even in this 
shortened season. Uh, I think people understand that this is such a unique circumstances to just try to extend a, a little bit of, uh, of, of patience and understanding toward guys are making these decisions. But you're right, Max. I mean, certainly he's a guy who doesn't have millions in the bank. He is uh, uh, willfully pushing back his uh, service time or, you know, certainly his, his, his countdown to free agency. Uh, so it's certainly not a, a life decision made by Kopech, and I think it really just boils down to the uncertainty that all players have acknowledged that they're facing. But, you know, for him, the extra wrinkle being, uh, you know, how is he going to be used? Uh, um, is he going to be taken off a starter track? I don't think the White Sox have, have ever thought of doing that, even in a crazy season where it's just a sprint to the playoffs like this year. I think they would have been very firm with him being a guy who is going to be a starter. But I think there's just some... Uh, discomfort about how he might be used and it just made sense to him you know both from a, a pandemic standpoint but just from a normalcy standpoint just to push forward and look toward 2021 yeah there's a lot of uncertainty going into this year and, and even here we're you know less than two weeks away from the start of the season and it's, we're still kind of uncertain of what players will be available uh you know as we sit here now what's kind of your best guess on what the the projected starting lineup will be as the White Sox start the season, how might that evolve, I guess, as the, as the season progresses? Well, you know, uh, Luis Roberts, really the big, you know, new addition. Um, he'll probably bat further down in the order, but he's a guy who I think projects maybe even to a number two hitter. You know, you got Eloy coming back for his uh, second full season. Well, I guess it's not a full season, it is a max, but his second season with the White Sox. Uh, right field is a question mark, but they did make the trade with Texas for Nomar Mazzara, and he's looked really good in the in the summer camp. It seems like they've tightened up a lot of stuff about his swing. He's got a great attitude. Uh, Jose Abreu's back at first base. Uh, Nick Brent Madrigal, I guess, is a guy who I uh, neglected in being so um, swoony over Luis Robert to point out that he's a guy that's sort of on the precipice of the major leagues, and he has shown very well in summer camp play, um, first rounder from uh, the draft before, well, I guess two, two three drafts ago. Uh, but he's ready. Uh, he, whether or not they're going to plug him right away as a starting um, second baseman. I mean, he's a guy who's definitely going to see action even in the short season, you think. Tim Anderson, you know, batting champ, he's obviously back with uh, plenty of swagger. Um, sorry, Brad Keller. Uh, third base, big question mark, of course, Yohan Moncada is a guy who, of course, we're, you know, sort of not allowed to say, but obviously is out for a reason, and we can all figure out that reason, so he's going to have to sort of try to speed back. He's asymptomatic, but he's going to have to, you know, rush back to, to be a factor in this in this season, and hopefully he doesn't get too far behind. Grandal, starting catcher, and not a bad one as a backup in James McCann as an all-star last year, and, uh, you know, uh, the White Sox are really, really happy with that as a lineup because you got Edwin Canarasione as your uh, as your designated hitter. The the offense ought to have a lot more firepower this season. And on the pitching side of the ball, you know they've had you know Lucas Giolito had a big step up last year. Uh, it seems like they're collecting a, a nice uh, like group of young arms. Um, what's what's what has a rotation and maybe a couple key members of the bullpen look going into this year? Well, spots last year at the four and five were for wincing and laying down and avoiding uh, the White Sox have now, even with not having Kopech in, are now six deep. Carlos Rodon has come back from Tommy John surgery. He's ready to slide into the starting rotation. Dallas Keuchel picked up as a free agent. So uh, two lefties where there were really um, none to speak of last year. Uh, Giolito obviously comes back as the ace. Uh, uh, Dylan Cease 
young guy came in at the end of uh, 2019. He's definitely uh, in as a starter. Ronaldo Lopez is fills out the five. He's the guy who has maybe the most question marks about him, but he's, again, pitched very strong, seems to have the right attitude. Gio Gonzalez picked up uh, uh, for a song uh, in the offseason. He's a guy who's coming back from a little shoulder issue. I don't know if he profiles as a, as a number six in a six-man rotation or if he's a guy who's just going to be a spot starter when they, when they need that. But they are six deep. Uh, you know, bullpen, Alex Colomay somehow is managing to still save games and look great just by peripherals that frighten a lot of people. Uh, and Aaron Bummer is a guy who got sort of a mini extension. Uh, he's going to be in Chicago for quite a while. He's a guy who's going to be co-closer, can step in as closer if something goes wrong. But uh, as a nice righty-lefty combination, um, that shores up the bullpen uh, a big time. And then you've got Steve Ciszek, who is a guy who came in as a free agent, who can also close if need be, too. So the White Sox have definitely uh, shored up the bullpen as well. You know, really um, – stronger pretty much throughout the roster uh, I'm, I'm pleasantly surprised to report max <laughs> you know yeah, i think you're right it does on paper i think it does look like a much much improved team so what are the fan expectations going into the season i mean i know it's kind of a weird 60 game schedule and, and a lot could happen but you know this is a team that it seems like they're progressively adding more and more to the team each of the last few years and you mentioned last year was a little bit disappointing what are fans expecting for this year I don't know if it's necessarily playoffs, given it's so weird. I think in the, the playoffs expanded. I think the White Sox fan base definitely thought we, we, we would have been in that sort of like whatever, 18, 17, whatever they were pushing it to. Uh, the way it is now, though, uh, you know, I can't speak for all fans, but, you know, I like the chances of the Twins just because it's a weird year. Or maybe I was saying this for the 162-game season. I like seeing them falling back to the pack a little bit. If that means lower 90 wins, maybe mid-90 wins, well, then that puts – obviously Cleveland, and even the White Sox perhaps in play. If all things go right, puts them in play uh, to at least compete for the division. Um, you know, wild card might be too speculative, but, I mean, it, it puts you in the discussion. The White Sox, I think, I think the fan base was looking at 500 as a bare minimum. I think most projections seem to have, you know, the White Sox, and even among the fan base, you know, mid-'80s wins would, would be realistic. But then, hey, from there – a couple breaks and now you're into the, the, the upper 80s and even the lower 90s and in this compressed season, geez, one season. I mean, we're going to see this year, right? We're going to see a team go from last to first uh, in the last uh, a series of the season, right? I mean, there's going to be at least one of these six divisions going to be so tightly packed that that could happen and, and why not have it be in the Central? So, hey, Kansas City's got to hope too, man, right? <laughs> well, I was just going to say that I think the White Sox having 20, <laughs> a third of their schedule is going to be against the Tigers and Royals, which has to help a little bit. I mean, I know the Indians and Twins are in the same boat, but, um, you know, you can kind of bank some wins in right there. Uh, let's talk about a little, a little bit of a White Sox manager, Rick Renteria. Uh, you know, you mentioned last year it was a little disappointing, and, and I think there are probably, as you say, a higher expectations this year. Could he be in the hot seat if the team stumbles out? What, what are your kind of opinions on the way he's kind of managed the club so far? Well, it befuddles the fan base because he, he is not in any way in a hot seat. They even did that famous, like, stealth extension of him. They even announced it. They just gave him more years and didn't really tell anybody. Uh, they love him. And, you know, when you're close to him at all, it, it's easy to see the enthusiasm that he has. I mean, he's just got such a great attitude about the team. And these guys now, especially a, a young team, adding some veterans, but this, this young core has really grown up with him and I think really respect him and love him. So I think it would really have to be – I don't think anything would happen in this – crazy uh, 2020 season. But I think you'd really have to see terrible failure 
2021 and, and really, really uh, performing below expectations for him even to get into the hot seat. Uh, as much as it would seem fashionable outside of Chicago to say, hey, this is a guy who would be easily on a short list of guys who could go uh, in Chicago and certainly in that front office where it counts, uh, he's looked at very differently and they just adore him. Well, I definitely think the White Sox are one of the more interesting teams in baseball. I mean, there's, it seems like it seems rare now to find kind of teams that are trying to imp- like losing teams that are trying to improve their their ball club rather than <laughs> trying to tear down. I think the White Sox are trying to get better, and they do. I mean, like I said, on paper they look like a much better team, and I do expect them to be a, a tougher team for for uh, for the Royals and other teams to play this year. So uh, definitely keep our, our eye out on the White Sox this year. It would be a weird year, but um, like you said, a lot of strange things can happen in a 60-game schedule. Uh, you can read all about the White Sox and news and analysis about them at SouthsideSox.com. Brett, thanks so much for being on today. Thanks a lot, Max. Most of the time, we talk about tech in terms of a handful of gigantic companies like Google, Meta, and Apple. But some of the most interesting stuff we find online is the product of a single person. When you're working on your own, I think there's this beauty of being able to come up with an idea and then implement it then in that moment. You don't have to have permission from someone else. There's no red tape. In the Vergecast series, Solo Acts, we'll get to know these people, the tech they use to get stuff done and the obstacles they face trying to compete with the giants. Some people that I talk to and my friends are like, you know, your competitors are Zuckerberg and Musk. Like, aren't you kind of like afraid of that? Every Monday, our friend Ashley Escada will be curating and hosting these interviews and sharing with us what she's learned. I can't believe the McRib locator was originally a tornado locator. Right. <laughs> Pretty wild. Listen to our Solo Acts miniseries now in the Vergecast feed, anywhere you find podcasts. And we're back. And joining us now is Sean Newkirk. Sean, how are you doing tonight? Good. I'm here. Let's... Uh... Let's get our podcast on as usual. Happy to always happy to be here. Also joining us is Jeremy Greco, better known as Hokias. Jeremy, how are you doing today? I'm doing not half bad. Well, that's good. Uh, you know, we have some baseball going on, so that's something to keep our spirits up a little bit. Summer camp is underway, and the Royals have had a number of intra squad games. In fact, I, I, right now, as we're recording, they're playing another intra squad game. Uh, and next week, they'll tune up the season with three exhibition games hosting the Houston Astros on Monday and Tuesday, then traveling to St. Louis to play the Cardinals on Wednesday. Uh, and, you know, we haven't really gotten a look at too much of summer camp. Some of the games have been broadcast over Twitter or, or on the Royals' website. Um, but uh, I guess one of the players that is making at least news uh, early on and turning some heads is 19-year-old Bobby Witt Jr. Uh, Witt has yet to play his first pro, full season of pro ball, but the second overall pick from 2019 has dazzled coaches and riders with his bat and his defense in the field and he seems to be impressing his teammates with his maturity and Sean I know there's no minor league season this year and Witt is pretty much just in camp to get him some reps and get him around the coaching staff but is there any way he gets into a big league game this year Uh, I mean is there any way that he impresses everyone so much that they're like yeah let's give him a couple of of at-bats yeah I mean it's possible. I think Jeffrey Flanagan of the the Royals beat writer MLB.com had said that it's no. I, I, he didn't say it is impossible, but he said no. It's not like I, something along the lines of it's not likely. I might be misquoting him, but something uh, to the to the uh, the effect of that of where yeah he probably isn't. Um, you know, I, there's no there's no impl- if he gets added to the sixty man, there's no issue with 
obviously for him to be taken off, he'd have to be released, but it doesn't count towards any service time, right? On the 60-man, there's no issue as far as starting that clock. Am I right. correct? Yeah, yeah, I think it's yeah. better to think of the 60-man club pool as like the minor leagues. Like it's, if, if you yeah. have your 40-man roster, which is still in effect, and the, and the active, which will be 30-man roster uh, when we start the season, but the guys that aren't on either of those are just kind of there in camp. Uh, this is just a way to, I think, really to keep tabs on those guys. Yeah. But for him to play in, in any MLB game, though, he will be have to be on the 40-man, right? Correct, yes. Okay, yeah. So, yeah, so, I mean, the chances of him actually being on the prop, the 40-man proper, as we maybe traditionally would know it as in other seasons, is a zero, zero percent. Um, yeah. But he probably, yeah, should, if he's going to, if uh, he should stick around uh, and, you know, play the scrimmage games and inter-squad games, you know, for the rest of the season. And that needs to be his minor league season. He, he had pretty much... Maybe not anybody in the system, because um, I think of guys like Suli Matias and Nick Prado and MJ Melendez that are in the same boat. But Witt Jr. is one of the guys that absolutely need. He can't go a full season or you know whatever you want to call the rest of the year. He can't go without getting some actual practice in, um, given his age and you know where he's at kind of on the development curve. So yeah, I think it's crucial that. We can rule out him playing in the MLB. He's not going to. Um, but he needs to stick around in some capacity and, you know, play against the rest of the, you know, 59 other players in some capacity as well in the inter-squad games. Yeah, I guess if he started, if he if they did put him on the active roster at any point, that would also start his options clock. So, like, yeah. next in 2021, if the Royals want to send him to the minor leagues, they'd have to option him down. That's his first option year. Uh, and he only gets three of those option years before uh, they can't send him to the minors without a clearing waiver. So I think teams would be kind of wary of doing that. I, I am curious to see how teams do deal with some of these guys that were re- recently drafted. We know Aza Lacey is not in the 60-man club. Well, he could be added later, I guess. But they kind of seem to downplay the idea of doing that. Uh, and, and so, Jeremy, how should the Royals be dealing with the players that are – not going to be in the major leagues this year, but there's no minor league season. So, you know, how many of these guys do you want in camp like Witt, who are obviously not going to be in, uh, you know, in the big leagues this year, but need some sort of action against other minor leaguers? Well, I think, I think they've handled, <clears throat> excuse me, handled it just about right. Uh, you know, you've got your 40 man roster, which ideally has 40 guys that you can expect to play. Um, and then, and then, it, then they've got a few guys, that probably won't play. Not many, I don't think, with with uh, like Matias and Prado and Witt. We probably won't see any of them this year, or Prado. Um, but uh, even a lot of the other guys, like Brady Singer and uh, Lynch and, and those college pitchers that they drafted um, just a couple of years ago, those guys could conceivably... they If this had been a normal year, they could have conceivably uh, made the roster at some point this year. So um, those are guys that are kind of on the edge, and and I'll have some other guy. Uh, Khalil Lee's another one who uh, maybe wouldn't have made this made the big league roster this year, but might have. So they got some borderline cases for the forty man roster, and then they got some guys that is like, well, we just really want to make sure these guys get uh, a little bit of coaching attention, and, and I think that's a the, uh, that's really the best you can do under these circumstances. What well, kind of hanging all over summer camp is the the looming threat of the coronavirus, of course. And right after we recorded our podcast last week, we got the news that Brad Keller and Ryan O'Hearn had tested positive for the coronavirus. And then later in the week, we got news that catcher Cam Gallagher had tested positive as well. 
That makes four Royals players that have tested positive for the coronavirus so far, along with Salvador Perez, although we did get word on Tuesday that Salvador Perez has been cleared to rejoin the team after testing negative twice. Um, everyone so far has been asymptomatic, aside from Keller, who had some very mild symptoms, at least that we know of. And, of course, we all hope that they continue to be healthy and are clear of the virus soon. Uh, but it does kind of raise the question, and Hokaius, you, you wrote a column this week uh, that generated quite a few comments where you argued that baseball shouldn't even be played this year. What was, uh, I guess, briefly summarized, what was your case against playing baseball this year? Well, uh, so basically the way I see it is I, I kind of did a pros and cons list, and the pros are, you know, baseball's fun, and baseball players get paid, and, uh, you know, top prospects like we were just talking about, like uh, Bobby Witt Jr. will get um, at least a little coaching slash development time. Uh, but there, there's just so much we don't know about the, the coronavirus, and, and, and the season isn't gonna matter. Sports, I know, I know some people will say sports don't matter ever. And that's fine. But, uh, you know, in a 162 game season, if you do feel like sports matter, then then that's that's a season and you play that season and then you do your playoffs and, and everything matters as much as it's ever going to matter. But when it's 60 games like we've we've seen what can happen in 60 games, we've seen teams have incredibly hot first halves and then they they fall off in the second half and. And I just don't see that this year is going to produce anything other than like some really off the wall uh, trivia questions for baseball broadcasts to use in the future. It's just no one, no one is going to look at the 2020 World Series champion and be like, "Man, that was such a good team. I'm so, I'm so impressed with them." Even if they are a good team, it'll be like, "Well, they didn't really have to try. It was only 60 games." And then there's there's the you know the the dangers of the coronavirus, which yeah include they include death, and and that's the thing I think a lot of people aren't talking about. They're like, oh well, you know these guys are all healthy, they, uh, and and so far we've had four guys who've shown up with you know pretty pretty low symptoms or asymptomatic cases, and so there it doesn't seem like they're really uh, in line to die, which is good. Don't want anyone to die if we can help it, but. Um, so, but you can, it can happen. If there's a massive outbreak later, and we've already seen where the testing is is the best that they can come up with, and Cam Gallagher was, he tested positive, and he didn't know it until after he'd played in a game. So everybody in that game was exposed to him, especially because he's a catcher, and they're, they're not able to do social distancing really in, in even the same way the other players are. And then there's the whole the the stuff about the long-term side effects that um that i feel like people aren't really paying attention to either even in the asymptomatic cases that we're being warned that there may be some serious uh serious things that could happen to people even with asymptomatic covid19 uh in the future with their lungs and their liver and even their brains and and it just it's i love baseball and i i i want baseball to come back but i just can't I can't justify if I was in charge, I couldn't justify all of these potential risks just for, you know, basically entertainment right now. Yeah. And I, I can share a lot of your concerns, especially in the last point about, you know, the long-term health problems that we don't know really what the long-term health concerns could be. And, and, and when you're talking about 
people that are rely on you know being physically fit and athletic for their um, for their livelihood. Um, you know, that can be a, a very big deal, you know, let alone the, the health concerns of their, of their well-being. Um, I will push back on your first point a little bit. Uh, you know, it is a 60-game season, and it is going to be crazy, and it's going to be weird and bizarre and wild. Um, I don't know if I would say it doesn't matter, though. I mean, like, um, it certainly matters to the, to the players. I, I think, you know, it could be a five-game season, and they'd play like it was, a, you know, like some guys would play like it's the last game of the World Series. And, you know, 1981 was a weird year where they had the strike and it wiped out like two months of the season and only 100 games were played for by each team. And the best team in the National League didn't even make the playoffs because they had this weird playoff structure where you had to win the first half or the second half. And like the Reds finished second place in both halves. And even though they had the best record, they didn't make the playoffs. But uh, and the Dodgers, who did win the pennant, won the championship that year wouldn't have made the playoffs uh, under a normal structure. Um, and I think we kind of forget that. And we just say, well, the Dodgers won the World Series that year. It was 1981. Yeah, it was a strike-shortened year, but it still counts as a championship and it still was a season. Uh, and so I do think this year will seem weird and bizarre, and we may dismiss it a bit at first. I think when we get into it, we'll be like, well, this is baseball, and it'll feel kind of regular. At least the baseball part will feel regular um, to us. And then, like, five years from now, we'll just say, well, the champion this year was a champion. And we may remember it was a coronavirus year, but I don't know if we'll say, well, that year just doesn't count. Um, but your other concerns, I I have to agree. I mean, just it, ultimately, this is entertainment. It's non-essential, right? And, you know, there are a couple things to watch here. I think, number one, we have to look at the, you know, we, when, the, when we got the initial intake of testing, um, we should have expected some players were going to be positive. Like, they've been out around the country, some out of the country. I'm sure most of them are trying to be good as much as they could, but no one's perfect. And even people that are really good about wearing their masks and social distancing can get coronavirus. I mean, it's just a matter of, we have to go get groceries. We have to have interactions with other people at times. Uh, it just happens. And so it's not surprising that some guys came to camp and tested positive. And that's, I think it's good because we're catching it. And hopefully those players can, can, can quarantine. And if they need medical treatment, they can get medical treatment. And they'll be fine afterwards. Um, I think what we have to watch now is who is getting, who is testing positive after the intake. Because like you said, Cam Gallagher played in a game and then tested positive. Uh, Brad Keller, reportedly from Peter Gammons, picked it up in a rental car. Uh, and so we can do all the social distancing we want in the stadium and guys can wear a mask, and we can all do all this testing, but guys are still living out in the real world, like all of us, and they're interacting with people, you know, you know, trying to be safe, I'm sure, but there, you know, there's just no way to have 100% certainty that no one's going to get this. Now, you know, I think we can, I think it's, as long as we're getting a, a small number of players and they're largely asymptomatic, I think that's, I think most people would find that acceptable, but I guess at one point, what point, Sean, do we say, you know what, this is this is getting a little too dangerous, and maybe you disagree. Maybe you think now is the time to shut it down. But you know, there there there, there will be a point if this gets worse that um, we'll have to say it's time to pull the plug. And I don't know. We haven't had a really good discussion in this country, and I don't think we ever will really about like what is an acceptable amount of risk. Uh, you know, I know people contrarians have said there's a certain number of people die from the flu every year and we don't freak out about that. And that's true. And, and coronavirus 
At first, it didn't seem like it was going to kill more people than kill more people than that. Now it has killed like twice as many people as a flu uh, kills in a typical year. So I, I don't know what what is the acceptable amount of risk that we we take. Uh, and with with this coronavirus, I mean, we've already seen 130,000 people die from it. So I I don't know if that's a risk that I would want to take as a player. I don't know what what's your stance, Sean? Yeah, I mean, I no, I mean, okay. So there's kind of two. There's the MLB is a good, although. Uh, hold on, let me reset that. The MLB is a good case of what's going on in this country as a whole because you've got the folks who who can and cannot, the folks that can afford to not work or play in this case because they're rich right but then you've got the you know uh, the i wouldn't call them and this is where i struggle to call them the lower class because they're not they're they're also probably millionaires or hundred thousand heirs at least um that basically don't have a choice i, I can't think of who it was i want to say it was brock holt that said like i have to play because otherwise i may never play again and like if i want to have a contract in 2021 i have to play in 2020 um otherwise draw, no draw one dyson sign. draw dyson said that this week or today yeah. i think he's like oh, okay I, he said I, I couldn't opt out i needed i needed that money i mean because he yeah. hasn't made millions and millions of dollars in baseball well it's that's so I, never mind i was just laughing at didn't dyson, dyson had a nice contract i think right he uh like a nine what, million like three year nine million dollars yeah, something like yeah. that i mean like that, he's, that's what I'm he's done okay but i mean yeah, this is probably yeah. his last chance to get yeah you know, any kind of good, yeah. decent money Seven and a half is what he got. I was just looking at it. Um, yeah, and so that's the thing. It's like, you know, it's tough for me to be like, oh, poor guy made <laughs> at least, you know, over his career he's probably made 13, 14 million bucks. But, yeah, that's the thing is that – and that's how it is in the U.S. as well just to begin with. You've got the people who can't afford not to go to work. Um, you've got teachers who in L.A. Um, one of my good friends is a teacher in L.A. and she has – I mean, she, you know, in August or whenever they open up, she's got to go back um, even though they really have no business going back. So – uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's just a, a total kind of a total perfect example of this. And is there a level? I mean, the, I wish the MLB had done what the NBA is doing and just said, like, OK, everybody for two weeks huddle in one place. And, it, you know, the what's his name? I don't follow the NBA, but one of the guys got in trouble for just going out to get food, like leaving the quote unquote bubble to go just get food from a Postmates guy. And he got fined. Um, and you know now he's got a quarantine for uh, for a week or whatever. So yeah, I, I think and the NFL definitely needs to do this. But I wish the MLB would have done exactly the same. Just this like everybody in a bubble, strict lockdown. That's the only way to play because I mean if you got guys like um, I want to say Tommy Fan tested positive and then he was just hanging out with a reporter and signing autographs. It's like man, you can't, you can't be doing this. Um, even if you know you have a negative test and you're still waiting on your second negative test. Uh, like fan was i believe you just can't do this so uh yeah i mean i don't know i i don't think i don't think there's going to be a point where the mlb just shuts it down unfortunately um i mean i'm with jeremy and i think max are on the same page where i don't think we should necessarily be playing to begin with but that's not an option obviously it's not an option that's going to happen i should say um but yeah i mean you know i i just like i don't think we're going to end up as a society going back into a shutdown a full-on shutdown kind of as we were effectively um in march and a little bit of april i just think people are going to just say screw it and unfortunately you know that's the kind of terrible doggy dog world we kind of live in at least in the u.s uh so yeah i i'm just not optimistic about the future of you know ha- the handling of this 
And I don't think it's I think it's unstoppable. I think the season's gonna go on. I'd say there's zero chance that it, it does it gets shut down almost unless things just get so bad, right? Yeah. Yeah. But baseball did talk about it doing a bubble, of course, like playing having guys just at Arizona and Florida. And of course now those are two of the biggest hotspots. You definitely wouldn't want to have a yeah. bubble there now. Um, you know, it is interesting that like, Toronto, you know, there the Canadian laws, if you travel from outside of the country, you need to quarantine for two weeks and you're not allowed to leave your uh, you know where you're staying, and so any and that's enforceable by I think, I think it's like a seventy thousand dollar fine and jail time, and they're strict about. They're telling the Blue Jays the Blue Jays were and visiting MLB teams. I think we're negotiating a way to get a waiver so that they could travel to Canada uh, for games, and and yet they they would still be subject to that um, enforcement. And so now the Blue Jays are talking about possibly playing games in Buffalo, New York, instead, so they don't have to cross uh, the border. Uh, so that that's kind of interesting. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm still in kind of wait and see mode. I'm not ready to call off the season and plug pull the plug yet. I, like I said, I kind of want to see how the numbers are once we have guys in camp and if there is spread among players. Um, and, and so far, I think the testing has gotten a little bit better, although we did see uh, you know problems with delays in testing results, which is a major problem. If, if they're waiting a couple days for results and a guy's out there playing with his teammates – um, that's that's a major problem because you could be spreading it to your entire team and putting your putting a number of guys at risk. So I yeah, kind of want to see how one, things go. The Cam one is just ridiculous. The Cam Gallagher one is just ridiculous, right? He he played while awaiting for his positive test, his eventually positive test. It's like, you know, in some countries you can get the test back within, I think it's like four hours. Um, obviously, you need to have a testing center really close. But, yeah, I mean, you absolutely shouldn't have players who take a test and I don't remember if Gallagher was showing symptoms or not, but took a test, played, and then the test came back positive. It's like, no, he needs to not play until the test comes back negative. And so, I don't know. I, I It just it seems like there's no control going on. And every day we hear about someone opting out or someone testing positive, and it just, it just stinks. The- Especially since uh, a new thing came out today that I want to say – the number might not be 50. It might be a little lower than 50, but a large amount of people who have coronavirus, um, and I didn't see the age demographics, to be honest, but the a, a lot of people with coronavirus are in, are, are having um, uh, cardiovascular, longer-term potentially cardiovascular issues. So, it's, yeah, maybe you recover from coronavirus, but, you know, God forbid Cam Gallagher three, four, five years from now, even 10 years from now, has a cardiovac- cardiovascular issue, you know, so – I think there's a lot of things going on that that make it a lot more dangerous than just you know having the flu as some would downplay it. There's there's a, there's potential long-term effects to it, obviously. Yeah, and really the testing has been the most baffling part of all this. Why we're not better at the testing, and and it's not hard to find places where it's worked really well. Like Korea uh, has implemented like a, a fantastic testing protocol where you can get the results back pretty quickly, uh, and they've mass tested you know the, pretty much the entire country at this point. And yet, you know, we're this great country with, you know, no shortage of money and no shortage of resources. And yeah, the testing has just been far short of that. And and even baseball, which, I mean, they've got, you know, it's a $10 billion industry. And they pretty much bought a lab, commandeered a lab and bought it and converted it into a COVID testing lab. And they still are having issues with getting the results back in time. I just, I don't know. It's just, that's one of the more baffling things to me if people... Yeah. Want the economy to open? Want things to get better? The best way to do that is to test people and get, um, get them quarant- get those those that test positive quarantined. You just can't make it happen. Yeah, Sean Doolittle pointed out that um, 
baseball or sports. I think he said sports is a reward for people for countries that uh, do well in coronavirus. Right. So you've got oh, is it New Zealand? Someone's got maybe it's Korea. Someone's got fans in the seats right now. Yeah, um, Korea, I know Korea, the Korean baseball. Korea. League, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and, and then New Zealand, I believe rugby. Yeah, um, and yeah, and Taiwan. I think there's there are countries, and you look at like Australia. And I tweeted out a couple of days ago a paper about Australia versus the U.S. and like they both had case number ten on like the exact same day, very very similar timelines. But like you know, Australia has basically killed the disease. Now they did it by saying you can't leave. Um, you, you, I mean, they straight up locked down the entire country. Um, but you know what? What's better? You know, you and I suffering. Sorry, suffering is the wrong word. You and I being like, oh shoot, we can't travel this summer at the you know at the cost of saving 110,000 lives or whatever. Um, or you know, being like, oh, I'm gonna go to the Lake of the Ozarks this summer and go hang out in a pool with 500 people and get coronavirus. So I think that the sacrifice, and again, it's not really a sacrifice, but I think the sacrifice of just staying the hell home uh, is is worth all the death and you know the reward obviously is uh, could be baseball and football. I mean, you know, most popular sport in America, it's it's truly at risk of not even being played. Um, so I, I, I don't know. We are yeah, reaping hometown, what we're selling. The hometown team just signing, you know, two of their biggest stars to long-term contracts. Want to see them on the field, but mm. yeah, you don't want to risk yeah. their long-term health. Yeah, and part of the Mahomes, the part of the beauty of the Mahomes deal, well, part of the best part of the Mahomes deal, I'll say, is that no cap hit. Basically, his cap change, his cap hit in 2020 and 2021 are basically unchanged. But what if he just wiped away all of 2020? I mean, that's a big benefit of that contract is him being paid three million dollars this year. But they don't have a 21 season, then oh well. I mean, you know, there goes that. So you just you gave Sean an opening to talk about the Patrick Mahomes contract. <laughs> uh, you know, Jeremy, we last week Sean and I talked a little bit about what we thought it would take for MLB to pull the plug on this season. Um, do you see a scenario where MLB just says, you know what, we can't do it, um, and and they cut the season short, uh, uh, or is this is this are we going to see a World Series this year? I it, it, the big thing is is worst case scenario for me is is like do they do they have a team that just literally can't put 25 healthy guys on the field or 26 um and that is about the only scenario i can see where they'll actually shut this down is if teams have to start start forfeiting because the coronavirus has spread that wildly through the team and and considering I, I know it's it's kind of a negative like we were just talking about the cam gallagher situation where holy crap he's he's testing positive he doesn't know it and he's playing but the the positive that that also goes along with that is that so far as we know no one else has tested positive since then so if there if the virus isn't spreading through teams like wildfire which is is my biggest fear um then then they probably will get to play the whole season and and go through the world series um, it also depends on on what the virus does outside of baseball because it's it's going up, you know, it's spiking pretty high right now. But it could get even worse, and and when the weather gets colder, we've been told, you know, it may it may get worse then. So those are those are a couple things to keep an eye out. But yeah, I I just don't see it. it. I don't see baseball once they start the season. I don't see them stopping it until until they they just can't play baseball games. 
Well, of course, we all do hope the players remain asymptomatic and, and are healthy. And, and, of course, baseball takes a backseat to the players' health. But I did kind of want to just touch upon the baseball ramifications of, of the potential, I guess, at least temporary loss or uncertain um, status of some of the players that did test positive for the coronavirus, Cam Gallagher, Ryan O'Hearn, and Brad Keller. Uh, already, the uncertainty over Keller's status has led Mike Matheny to tab Danny Duffy as the opening day starter. Sean, how do you see the rotation kind of shaking out if Keller isn't ready to start the season? Yeah, um, I mean, Duffy, I think, was going to be the lock anyways uh, for a starter, um, but obviously Keller would have been the follow-up typically. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't know because, like, the, oh, gosh, there's just so much up. The thing is that, like, stuff could change, right, in tomorrow. Like the guy, Danny Duffy could test positive. Hope you know, God forbid. He hopefully he will not. But if Duffy tests positive tomorrow, well then what the heck do we do? It's it's so unprecedented the uh, the the way that something could change that quickly. Um, so I mean, you assume that Duffy, you've got Junis, Montgomery, Lopez. I guess is he going to be in the bullpen or the rotation? Um, and then Kennedy's probably back in the rotate the back in the bullpen um, as usual. So it's like, yeah, I mean. Depending on what the heck happens to with Keller, um, then you got Sparkman. I mean, it's basically Duffy, Junis, and then I don't know, and then Keller as he returns. Um, there's just, gosh, there's just it's so much fluidity um, that you know, uh, is there going to be even? Someone can answer this here. Uh, have they built in many off days? I haven't really got it. I haven't really. No, like, it's it's not. It's, it's different schedule. from the yeah. It's different from the usual schedule in that. They don't have many. I think they go the first 16, 17 games without an off day to start the year. Uh, And they built the off days, I think, later in the year to kind of, in case there's rainouts, I suppose. But, um, yeah, they're going to have to do a five-man rotation at least to start the year. Yeah. Uh, Well, I would do it. I mean, and so that's my – I would actually rather have the off days early, right, just because uh, uh, as the coronavirus cases are still pretty much up there, it's like, okay, well, so if a guy tests positive, it, it, like I said, Dr. Bidani Duffy tests positive, well, he's out, no off days. Um, he's out for, you know, what could be up to two weeks, maybe longer. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I it's, it's just so much up in the air. It's just impossible um, to predict. And particularly, you know, when you've also got the Royals with three starters who arguably could start in the major league at this point or could be given the opportunity to do so. Uh, maybe, you know, they might not end up being actual useful starters at this point but they have the opportunity and the pedigree to start and speaking of lynch coar and stinger um so i don't know i mean who knows glenn sparkman or Jorge lopez could get one or two starts in and then the royals just say okay we, we've seen enough of this and then you know call up uh, someone else or you know move kennedy back to the rotation or something I, I don't know there's just so much up in the air at this point that who knows well i think they, they seem to like kennedy as a, as a reliever and i think I think if nothing more than for the trade value that he brings to the table. Yeah. Um, and Sparkman, they seem to be talking up as a reliever. I think they, they like the potential of him having more velocity. Cause you know, as a starter, he was pretty meh and maybe he can unleash some, some value as a reliever. Uh, but, but Jeremy, I think, you know, it's probably gonna be Duffy. Uh, we're probably looking at Jacob Junis and then Mike Montgomery, I guess would be your number three, but you know, Brady Singer looked like, you know, a, a I would probably say better than not, uh, he was going to make the team back in April, back in March. Um, and now if Keller is not ready to go 
and we have a short season, I mean, it almost seems like he's a lock to start the season. Is that how you see it? Or do you think maybe he's, he, they, they, they give him a couple of weeks to, to, before adding him to the rotation? It, it all depends. It, it's just really, there's so much that depends on health because you got to remember, um, we, we, we talk about COVID-19 and all this stuff and who can test positive and all this stuff, but there's the regular injuries can still happen on top of that. So, so, we, uh, Danny Duffy might not test positive for COVID-19, but he might pull a muscle and be unable to go. Uh, hopefully he doesn't, but there's just, there's just so much, un, there's, there's, far more uncertainty as far as health and players being able to go than than I think any of us are used to. And I think it, it's going to be wild just trying to figure out um, what's going on and, and who's going to be able to go and when. And and I, I thinking about that, I, w- I was thinking, um, you know, because there's only so many people on the 60-man roster. And I know they can bring them on and drop them off as they want, but you can only – the 40-man roster still works the same way. So it, it'll be interesting if if two or three guys do go down with uh, with with injury or or illness, um, just having to bring guys up like they they may have no choice but to to bring guys like Singer and Lynch and Kowar uh, and put them on the roster just to fill it out. Um, and so if it were me, I would probably let those guys hang back for a little bit. Um, you still got you. I know they would rather put him in the bullpen, but if you have to, you've got Jorge Lopez, you've got Glenn Sparkman, Foster Griffin is a guy who's already on the forty-man roster that I would probably just kind of throw out there and and see see what he's got. Um, maybe you know whatever whatever happens happens. It, it's just I, I wouldn't I wouldn't start the year with the uh, with the with the big name prospects. I would I would try to to hold them in reserve for as long as possible probably and i will point out the royals of course don't typically manipulate service time but uh if you hold singer back uh and don't call him up until the second week of the season uh he would still he would push back his his service time so that he wouldn't he you would essentially buy an extra year before he hits free agency and arbitration well free free agency i guess a big one um and so I guess that's a consideration. I don't think it's something the Royals will necessarily consider it, but it may be in the back of their mind. If anything, I expect Dayton Moore to promote him the day before that just yeah. to prove <laughs> he doesn't manipulate service right. time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. so we'll, we'll have to keep our eye on it for that. And, of course, we hope uh, everyone else stays healthy. And that, uh, you know, even though this is a bizarre, strange season, um, it is it is baseball. And if it does come back and hopefully the, the players can stay safe, um, you know, it is certainly we would welcome seeing baseball back. Uh, on our TVs, at least. Um, let's turn to our Royals review reviews. Uh, Jeremy, why don't we start with you tonight? You should start with Sean. Okay, we'll start with Sean tonight. <laughs> no, let's start with you, Max. You always wrap up. All right. Well, I'll start. I'll I'll start this time. Uh, so this week, uh, Grant Brisby used to ride SB Nation. Now writes at the Athletic. He's a fantastically funny writer, um, and but also a good baseball historian. And he has a Really great piece this week uh, called How Quickly Did San Francisco Realize That Candlestick Park Was a Disaster? And Candlestick Park, uh, former home of the San Francisco Giants and San Francisco 49ers, was built uh, in a place where, you know, we think of California being sunny and nice and warm. Uh, Candlestick Point is probably the coldest place in California. It's uh, gets frigid even in July summer baseball games. It got so cold that you had to wear a jacket at night. 
Uh, and it was extremely windy, in fact, so much so that it would play havoc on the baseball. It even famously knocked over a pitcher, Stu Miller, uh, causing a balk. Um, so it was just a terrible place to build a stadium. And he kind of goes to the history of why it was put there and, and how it was built. And of course, like many stories of, of how public works projects were built, um, there's a lot of politics and a lot of graft involved, which he gets into. But I think my favorite part is some of the, first of all, the guy that kind of ran the construction project was kind of the impetus behind the building of Candlestick Park. Um, he, first of all, he wanted to name the stadium after himself, uh, which would have been Harney Stadium. Um, and when they didn't agree to that, he basically said, okay, I'm done building the stadium. You build it, you finish it yourself. I'm going home. <laughs> uh, eventually they smoothed, smoothed over their feelings, but uh, they had to name the stadium. Of course, they didn't have, I guess, naming rights back then. So they came up with some interesting names, uh, Horsehide Gulch, Pacific Stadium, which sounds kind of cool, Seagull Park. But my favorite is um, Rogue's Gallery, which I think would have been really cool. <laughs> like we're playing a game at Rogue's Gallery. Uh, and then my ultimate favorite is Oofty Goofty Stadium, which apparently uh-huh. is a is named after a character that, uh, to be honest, has a lot of non-PC connotations that are of that age. But um, Oofty Goofty Stadium, they would have had to rename it, I think, eventually. <laughs> but uh, that's just one of the more interesting names they could have had uh, for San Francisco's ballpark. Instead, they went with Candlestick Park. Uh, but it's just a really interesting... I, I like baseball history, especially stuff like this where I didn't really know much about the history of the stadium. And um, and I also enjoy kind of like urban history about how things get built. Uh, so that's a really good piece. Very funny. A lot of good humor in it. Um, it's called It's at the Athletic. Uh, how quickly did San Francisco realize that Candlestick Park was a disaster? Uh, check that out by Grant Brisby. So, uh, Sean, what do you have for us? Yeah, I'm glad you brought up a piece because I'm going to bring up a, kind of a written piece, too. Um, and, you know, cut cut this out and obviously if if we shouldn't be talking about this or you or you don't feel comfortable talking about this but uh i read a vagagorian of the kansas city star had a piece about should the royals should the, the chiefs change their name and just kind of opened up the idea um and not really advocated for it but said that we need to start listening more uh to the idea or be open to discussing that and you know while i agree that the name Chiefs isn't as bad as uh, Redskins or Indians. Um, still, if you look at the early Chiefs logo, it's incredibly racist. Um, and the thing that really stings me with the name a bit, at least, is that it doesn't really have any meaning or doesn't have any real ties to Kansas City other than it was the nickname of a guy who was important, but it's not as if it's um, – it's not as if it's like the Hunt family or, or someone who debuted the organization and in, in, on their own. So, uh, and it's Atro Bartle is who I'm speaking of. And, you know, he's most famous or, you know, his ties to the Indian community or the Native, excuse me, the Native American community um, is basically started a, a Boy Scout uh, club or, you know, started Boy Scouts back in the early 1900s and then nicknamed himself Chief. So, it's just different to me, and, and I know that um, a lot of large Native American organizations have called for, obviously, the Tomahawk Chop to be banned, uh, but they've called for you know all the headdress, the Native American um, iconography to be removed. Um, but I do think that it's worth, even though you know, uh, again, I don't quite think it's obviously on the scale of Redskins, which is clearly racist. I do think the Chiefs don't have too strong of a ties to the name Chiefs necessarily. 
um, and that if it did get changed, and some people have pointed out that if you're going to change it, change it now because nobody's going to stop watching the Kansas City Monarchs or whatever they'll end up being. Um, and, you know, given Mahomes and given they just come off the Super Bowl, so if you're going to change it, you've got the most sticky fan base really possible at this point. Um, and then also as well uh, with the Chiefs, uh, just, you know, not having really a tie to that name other than it being the nickname of a of an early Kansas Cityan, um, you know, that had a hand in. But, again, it, it's not as if, you know, he was the Hunt family or, or something, you know, truly truly impactful to the to Kansas City um so I don't know that was just my thought I think it's a really great piece I think the KC Stars done a great job um covering that and you know they've never been shy to give their opinion on you know uh hotter topics so uh Bob Gregorian of uh KC Star wrote a piece so take a look I think it's I think it's well worth the read of kind of coming to grips with the potentiality of that yeah you have to think you know 30 years from now we're going to be looking at highlights of Patrick Mahomes and his Hall of Fame career, and you hope that 30, 40 years from now, we won't look back and be, like, embarrassed that he's wearing a Chiefs name and Chiefs logo. Uh, yeah. And, and I, I have mixed feelings about it. I, I grew up, you know, cheering for the Chiefs, and uh, I don't, I grew, you know, I, I don't think there's anything inherently wrong with the name Chiefs or Braves or even, in well, Indians I maybe is a little more problematic, but it's more that they invite people, like, white guys to wear headdresses and war paint and do stupid chants and that yeah. makes me feel a little uncomfortable well yeah and i mean with the chiefs it doesn't just stop at that that's the thing is the chiefs have you know arrowhead stadium war paint the horse the war drum people wear headdresses it's it's the name you're right it's just so inviting to that um uh, uh gosh the uh, uh, when you what's the word when you steal someone else's st- appropriation, appropriation yeah. yeah sorry i couldn't think of that uh yeah i mean it just it really leads to that appropriation and the chiefs to their credit they said stop doing the tomahawk chop for tomahawk chop for a little while but you know early 2000s and they came out with like um a poster an advertisement with all of their offensive linemen wearing you know war paint it's like you know they've kind of sent mixed signals on that so i, I think you could really kind of nip that in the bud if you know going forward if you if you change the name and i don't know it'd be a tough pill to swallow absolutely though Go ahead. i would just say on this topic um that that basically you can you can I agree with a lot of what you've both said where, you know, chiefs isn't that bad and, and they've, they've tried to, they do uh, at least communicate with some of the, the tribes in the area and everything. Um, but I feel like you've kind of got an opportunity that they, they're, I feel like they're, they're going to go one of two directions. They're either going to end up having to change it later as, as, more pressure this is something that's been mentioned in a lot of articles is now that the washington football team is changing their name the some of those people who were really focused on them are going to now turn around and come after the chiefs um and so they're going to get more and more pressure so i feel like you're looking at two scenarios where either you're going to have to wait until you're forced to do it or you can be out ahead of it and and i i kind of just wish they would be out ahead of it uh just to just to be like you know what it isn't we don't we're a lot of people we've done what we can and we're not as bad as we could be but you know what rather than just be not as bad as we could be we want to be good and and i hope that they'll they'll consider that uh and and maybe make a change in the near future but we'll see yeah and um and not to label you know the subject anymore but yeah i mean you know if anybody who's a Chiefs fan is going to stop 
being a chief saint if they changed their name to the you know the monarchs or the or the kings or something like that you probably weren't a very big fan at all because you nothing is going to change about the organization the players literally nothing other than maybe the tattoo you just got after the super bowl is going to look a little little weird uh, but you know yeah there's more important things than in life than how your tattoo looks when the largest Native American organization in America says you should probably change your name, which they have, by the way, for the Chiefs. I want to point that out as well. well Jeremy, what do you have for us tonight? All right, so I'm going to go a little off the wall with my recommendation as well. And I'm actually going to recommend one of my favorite uh, YouTubers. And it's the the YouTube channel Cinema Wins. Um, so I, it's really cool on the internet uh, to nitpick things to death and to just find reasons why things aren't as good as, as they should be. And, and, and to, and to point out the flaws, um, uh, you know, we all remember game of Thrones where everybody was pointing at the, the coffee cup on the table or the water bottles by people's feet and whatever. So, uh, everybody loves to do that. And so what this channel cinema wins does is the exact opposite. As he finds the little tiny things in a movie that help uh, make it highlight it and make it even better than it may have seemed before. So he'll pick he'll pick some duds of movies and, and he'll show you why it maybe wasn't as bad as you thought it was. And he'll pick some great movies and and every time I watch him, I just learn a little bit more uh, about about movie making and about um, the different kinds of things you can do with with music and cinematography and acting and, and to just make it just uh, just you know one percent better. And and you know if you hundred if you do it a hundred times it's a hundred percent better, and and it's just really cool to watch his videos and, and to watch him just really celebrate uh, the craft of movie making as opposed to to I feel like the internet is a, is a frequently a very negative place so it's a it's a very positive place and it, I like watching his videos and and experiencing that. Yeah, that's always been one of my big pet peeves on Twitter when people talk about films. It's like give me your hot take, and it's always like thirty people ripping on a popular movie and i like i prefer them people like stand up and say i like this movie that's kind of underrated and uh or celebrate some of the things that like you say are, are maybe overlooked uh, so yeah that's kind of a that's cool kind of a cool idea for a channel what was the name of it again Jeremy? it's uh cinema cinema wins cinema wins is it wins with a z or an s it's with an it's with an S. It's actually it's kind of funny because they they're actually a parody channel of another channel which is called Cinema Sins, which does oh yeah yeah that, yeah that nitpicking thing and is is, is oh one of the biggest is channels the out there, I think oh so it's like the opposite of Cinema Sins it's then? the it's the opposite of Cinema Sins oh, but they're smart enough that instead of <laughs> so there's very 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 smart move by them that instead of just putting all the Cinema Wins content on uh, Sins they just started the Cinema Wins well, it's, it's a different channel. it's a different creator oh it is okay okay gotcha yeah i was thinking like so they get double the subs and double the revenue just you know without anyway the, the just, cinema sins guys are like doing they do music video sins and tv sins they're uh, okay. they're they're really into their sins and they're they're branching out in that direction <laughs> they're doing all right and I, and I have to admit i love the cinema sins guys too because they'll they'll admit when like a movie does something particularly well and and they have lots of joke sins um and, and so they're pretty funny too but the the cinema wins and i cinema wins is just one guy where cinema sins is like three guys working together they only have the one narrator but it's it's three guys working together and then cinema wins is one guy and sometimes he has wife wins i guess his wife watches the videos with him and he'll he'll include some of her stuff 
um, in his videos, but it's hmm. it's mostly just him. And it's they're both good. I just I just like that. Oh man, this this guy saw, like a lot of people saw Cinema Sins and they went off and did like video game sins. Or there's so many different sins channels on YouTube yeah. now that you you can't even you can't even understand how many there are. And then there's this one guy over here who's like, I'm gonna just go the exact opposite direction of that, and I'm gonna tell you. Why all the movies are awesome. We'll have to check Cinema Wins out. And uh, and I guess Cinema Sins is it's kind of a double recommendation. Cinema Sins as well. Uh, well, that'll do it for our show this week. Thanks again for Brett Ballantini of Southside Sox for being on to discuss the White Sox. And thanks to Sean and Jeremy for being on the show this week. And thanks to our readers and listeners for visiting our site. And we'll 